Last week, as we finished the book of Philemon, we, we learned that the question Paul asked of Philemon was to release his slave, Onesimus. Onesimus had become valuable to Paul after his salvation and felt he would now be valuable to Philemon uh, and the spread of the gospel. We learn from this short, intimate book that we as Christians today can either treat people who have wronged us like common runaway slaves, or we can treat them the way Jesus would treat them, the very same way Jesus treated us before our salvation and how he treats us every day. Tonight, we're going to start a new study in a new book. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book. Of 1 John. 1 John. Hebrew? Who said Hebrews? No, Becky, we're doing a study through the, the small books of the Bible. Do you think we, it was just Titus and Philemon? Hebrews? Oh my gosh. If I preach verse by verse through Hebrews, it'd take me six years probably. All right, things we need to recall about 1 John before we jump, in, jump into the Scripture. Things we need to recall. Now, what, what, where do y'all think I'm going to go back to? Well, yeah, well, I mean, what have we done here that I'm going to go back and rehash to get us to introduce, huh? Journey through the Bible. That's exactly right. So we're going to look at some things that we studied in Journey Through the Bible to get us reacquainted with the book of 1 John so when we start reading from the book of 1 John we'll have a better feel so things we need to know <coughs> or, or recall about 1 John the writer of this book does not identify himself but since the early 100s church leaders have given John the Apostle credit for its writing one factor that points to John being the, the credible writer of this book more than any other is the fact that both the writer of this book and John, in his writing of the gospel of John, calls Jesus, what, is, what does John call Jesus? The Word. The Word. So if we look at linguistics, if we look at words and word studies, it, it points to John being the author of 1 John as well. At the time of the writing of this book, most of the first generation Christians had died. There were severe problems in the church. Many Christians were either leaving the church or on the verge of leaving with a warped view of Christianity. How does that rate us today? You know, I ask this all too often. The Word of God is just as relevant today as in the day that it was written. Nothing that has happened since these writings it might go through a, a period of time, but, you know, it, it happens again. We're living in a day where people are leaving the church. And they're leaving the church with a very warped sense of what Christianity is. And it's sad. It's very sad. I've said this many times more often in Wednesday night class than any other, but people make this comment about the kook preachers who were on TV. They beg for money. I mean, you know, back in the Jim Baker days and the, uh, the Ernest Ainsley days, and, and uh, I, could, I could name uh, uh, Benny Hinn and uh, Cliff Low Dollar, you know, all, all these guys, you know, they, they beg for money. When people drive by our church and they see our sign, that's who we, they think we are. Really. 
they have a warped sense of what Christianity is. And it's sad. It's not right. I'm not saying that their perception is right because y'all know it's, it's entirely wrong. But that's what they see in Christianity as a whole. But the day that we live in, Christians are leaving the church with a very warped sense of what Christianity truly is. Uh, since I've been here, the, the most prevalent view is our cultural Christian view of what homosexual is or how uh, Jesus defined homosexuality. Uh, the, the prominent argument amongst the LGBT is that Jesus does not, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give any indication whatsoever at all in the New Testament. So Jesus is okay with it. That's their argument. This is the thing, though. Jesus is one of the three parts of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Will we all agree with that? Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit pretty much covered that, that topic in the Old Testament, did they not? Yeah, yeah, they did. And Jesus specifically defined what marriage is in Mark chapter 10. So what cultural Christianity, especially the millennial Christians, say about just that topic of homosexuality is very warped. They're leaving the church because there are pastors who still preach the Word of God as the Word of God without backing away from the Word of God. And these Christians, so-called Christians, don't believe that way and they leave with a warped sense of Christianity. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay, good. So, the three main warped views being circulated during John's time were these. Number one, the physical world does not matter when it comes to spirituality. The physical world does not matter when it comes to spirituality. Uh, warped sense of Christianity. Number two, spiritual people can do anything they want. Why? Because we're Christians. We can do anything we want. I'm covered by the blood. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You really are. But you can't do everything you want. Number three, physical and spiritual are separate and do not affect each other. These were prevalent ideas of thought back when John was writing this book. Now, we will hear John proclaim the truth in this book to both believers and those who have left the church. The reason for the letter and the, the preservation and including into the canon of Scripture this letter was to promote joy, to prevent sin, to promote the saint, to protect the saints, and to provide assurance to those who remain steadfast in the church. This sounds like a book that we all need to be reading and applying to our lives today. I mean, it, it, it's, as I read through the introduction to this to get reacquainted with the book of 1 John, I mean, it was, it was slapping me in the face. I'm thinking, why hadn't I preached before, this before now? And of course, it wasn't in God's timing, but it is in God's timing now. Amen? Amen. So, tonight we're going to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And as we read through this, recall how similar it is to the introduction of the Gospel of John. Okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? What have we heard? What, have, 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 what we have seen with our, with our eyes? What we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life? 
what that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us what we have seen and heard we also declared to you so that you may have fellowship among us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with, and and with his son Jesus Christ we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for those who have come here tonight. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would enlighten us through your word. That's the desire of every person who's sitting under my voice. I, I hope and I pray, Lord, that we will come to a greater understanding of your word. That's why we come to Bible study. That's why we do a verse-by-verse a study of your word that we'll, we'll become better better verse christians of, of greater service to you in our daily lives so lord i pray that this word would penetrate our hearts that we might be greater servants for you in jesus name i do pray and all god's children said amen what does our scripture say tonight what does our scripture say tonight john was a very old man when he wrote the words that we just read tonight John Phillips says this, he says, Feeling the weight of his years and aware of his days on earth were about to be done, a godly life lay behind him and a very long memory thrilled him. John is mentioned in the book of Acts only three times in connection with the early church in Jerusalem. After the Jerusalem Conference Church, Wednesday night class, we were studying through the, we just finished the Jerusalem Conference, but after the Jerusalem Conference, John disappears from Scripture for some 40 years, coming back into the spotlight towards the end of the first century to deal with the rising tide of apostasy. Thus, John felt compelled to write. Now, un understand here, uh, he, he isn't seen in Scripture or heard in Scripture for a time span of about 40 years. Does that mean that the Apostle John, John the Beloved apostle did nothing for those 40 years no no i'm sure he was busy doing everything that, that he was doing but it's just not mentioned it, it for 40 years he is ministering he is serving but but he is silent in his writing but through the apostasy and the apostasy in the church because of the declining and people leaving and things that were taking place in the church he said oh no i've got to stand up i've got to write i've got to address this and that's what we see taking place tonight in the book of first john now as we open our bibles to first john we see the elaborate and beautiful words of introduction john seems to always to be famous to write just like in his gospel message, John starts off this letter by praising and giving credit first to the one he loves the most, Jesus Christ. John starts off his introduction not with words of affirmation towards Jesus, but with questions or statements that would make his readers ponder, written directly to and for those who say that they at some point uh, said that they loved the Lord. These opening words would stir the heart of anyone who was true, truly uh, had a heart for Jesus. These same words in the day that we live in should have the same effect on true believers. How can we relate with these statements or questions seen in verse 1? Well, let's look at them individually. The first one is this. What was from the beginning? 
What is it that was from the beginning? What, what is it that was before God? He, he's asking that question. He's proposing that question. He's making that statement to make people think. He's saying, what was before God? Y'all are leaving the atrocities that are taking place. I want you to just stop and think with me here for a second, people. What was before God? Well, we know the answer to that. Nothing. And if there was something, there was, we don't have a clue because the beginning, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was God. That's where we, that we, we can't go any further back than that. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't need to go any further back than that. God is God. God is the beginning. And he asked the question, what was from the beginning? He's doing this to tr trigger a response with all the readers to make them, make them think about what they're doing, what is taking place in their lives. He asked the second question, what have we heard? What have we heard? Now up until that point, all throughout that land, Jesus was heard. They, they knew the story of Jesus. They, they knew the story of the prophesied coming of the Messiah, this man named Jesus who did come, how he was treated, how he was arrested, how he was tried, how he was crucified, and after three days he rose from the dead. How, how he, he roamed the earth for 40 days after he rose from the dead, teaching and preaching, and you, you could touch him, feel him. You, you sat down and you ate with him. What have you heard? So the first question he asks is, is you know, who, who was God? Uh, what, what was from the beginning? The second question is, what, what have we heard? And they'd all heard about Jesus. The third question or statement was this, what have we seen with our own eyes? Now the first thing that, I, I, that occurs to me <clears throat> when I read that was Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Because God reveals himself through his creation, does he not? Every single day. So John is appealing to their sight now. He says, what have you seen? What have you seen? What have you heard? For, what, what, what have you seen with your own eyes? And these people had seen. They had heard. They had heard from, from the, 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 the first generation of Christians. So he's making appeal, a, a third appeal to him. The fourth appeal is this. What have we observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life? What, what have we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John continues to qualify and validate everything he is going to write in this letter in verses 2. <clears throat> Not by asking any more questions, but making statements, but, but by proclaiming the truth of what his readers had believed. Not what they were necessarily presently believed, but what they had believed in times past. But through time they had seen to have forgotten. Look at verse 2. That life was revealed. And he and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. First thing he says is this. The life was revealed. Church, please understand that God does not try to hide anything. He doesn't try to hide anything at all. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is in the Old Testament. Every book in the Old Testament, Jesus is there. 
He's there concealed. He's there. There are pictures and, and, and types and pictures all throughout the Old Testament that point straight towards Jesus. When you open the New Testament, we don't have Jesus concealed anymore. We have Jesus revealed. John's saying this. He's saying, listen, the life was revealed. Whose life? Jesus. It's an open book. It's revealed. We don't have to wonder anymore. The life of Jesus is revealed. Then he says this. <coughs> Excuse me. And we have seen it. It's not just that, that he's revealed himself and then tried to hide or gone back to heaven. We, we have seen it with our own eyes. We've seen it. Do you, do you understand, church, that I am a Christian not because, just because of my faith. I accepted Christ by faith, and I, I am a Christian by my faith, but I am also a Christian because of what, <clears throat> thank you, because of what I have experienced. I have seen Jesus work in my life every single day. Every single day. And that's what John is saying here. He says, I have seen him. Thirdly, he says this, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Church, our testimony proves that Jesus was and is the Son of God. Do you understand why the, the world is, is searching and can't find Jesus? It's because our testimony, our testimony is we're, we're concealing, just like Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament, we are concealing our testimony within us. We've got to reveal to the world that Jesus is alive, and the only way we can do that is to testify every single day. You know, I, I'm afraid, church, that most people don't testify because they really don't have a testimony. They really don't have a testimony. Brother Kyle, that's, that's kind of a harsh thing to say. Well, you know, I, I didn't say it first. Our beloved Billy Graham said that he believed that 80% of every church members were, were lost. 80% were lost. And this is how he qualified it, Desi. He said, because 20% do 80% of the work, 100% of the work. He said, if Jesus comes into your life, he's going to change you. He's going to change you for his benefit, not your own. I really believe the reason that most people don't testify is they don't have a testimony, a living testimony. Now, John then tries to persuade his readers on behalf of fellowship Seen in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, <clears throat> What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the book of Acts teach us of the legalism of the Jews. And how they would not sit down to a meal with a person they, they did not have fellowship with. John is not talking about a fellowship meal here. He is speaking of the unity of believers through fellowship. It is impossible for a group of, to, to be in spiritual fellowship outside of the Word of God. If a person is, is not in fellowship with God, they will not be able to fellowship with a body of believers. They may be in attendance with the body of believers, but, but will not take, uh, take, uh, it will not take much to show that they are not in unity with God. 
This is where we see much of what we call church dissension, conflicts and contentions. You have people who are, who are right with God, trying to do the will of God, and then you have people who have professed Christ as their Lord, but they are not in right relationship with the people who have professed Christ is their Lord. But, uh, I lost my place, I'm sorry. Uh, but what they're doing is they're trying to do the will of, the, these people who are trying to do the will of God, and then you have the people who have professed Christ as their Lord, but they're not in their right fellowship, a relationship to the Lord, and they still, uh, with very much, uh, and they're still very much connected with the world. When those who are right with the Lord are still, I keep losing my train of thought, y'all, I'm sorry. When those who are in the right relationship with the Lord pursue His direction, those who are not in the right relationship are seen very easily because they contest the moving of God. The purpose of this letter is to address, address the falling away from God. The topic of concern for that very day and this day as well. Now let me try to clarify what I tried to say and stumbled over myself a hundred times. You've got a group of people who were trying to do the will of God, Right? And you've got a, 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 a group of people who have done lip service and they say they're Christians, but they're still connected with the world. You have God wanting his will done. And those who are right in relationship with God, they're, they're connected and they want to do the will of God. But when they try to do the will of God in God's church or in any aspect, this group over here, they're like, well, well that's, not, that's not what we want to do. And they cause conflict and contention. It's easy to spot them. And John spotted them because they're causing conflict. They're, they're always asking questions. Well, you know, is, is, is that the right thing to do? Is, is it the smart thing to do? Well, that's what God has directed us to do. Right? It, 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 well, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. John concludes his introduction by stating the absolute reason for his writing. He says, so that our joy may be complete. Did y'all see that? That our joy may be complete. Now, give, this gives the reader the understanding that, that portions of the fellowship of believers, believers had lost their joy. That they'd lost their joy. But what he was going to write next would, if they listened and followed, would restore their, would restore their joy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've told you this before. There's been times in my Christian walk, even when I was in the ministry, where I, I, I didn't realize it, but Jeff, I'd lost my joy. I'd left my, lost my, my joy for, for serving God. I'd lost my joy for, for worshiping God. I'd, I'd lost my joy for studying the Word of God. I'd just lost my joy. Just about every aspect. I, I, I think, you know, I don't think, I know, that Satan's job is to try to destroy our right relationship with God. And when he does that, he will take your joy. Well, how does he do that? Through circumstances in life. Things happen through family, through children, through grandchildren, through work, through relationships, through marriages. Satan wants to destroy your joy. He wants you to be a miserable Christian. Sad fact is there's a lot of miserable Christians. Our joy is gone. A lot of them don't even realize their joy is gone. 
What would it be like, Angela, if Sunday morning you came up here and ministered to us in song with a church full of Christians who had restored joy? I mean, they didn't think they had, I mean, they knew their joy was complete. What, what would it be like? I wonder what it would be like to preach to a, a, an audience full of Christians who had the joy of the Lord. They weren't, I mean, they had the joy of the Lord. They weren't gripers, moaners, groaners, and complainers. They had the joy of the Lord. wonder what that would be like. John, could you imagine preaching to a group of people like that? I mean, you'd have to take two or three breaks just because, I mean, they'd be shouting and praising and, and saying hallelujah and praise God and amen. It'd be unbelievable. At this point, I think it would be good for all of us to evaluate our lives and to see if we have the joy of our salvation. Do you still have the joy of your salvation? Y'all remember how excited you were when you first accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Do you remember? I mean, you, you, were, you would tell everybody, and you weren't afraid to tell anybody. You were excited to tell people about what you had done and what Jesus had done in your life. You were excited every time that something happened that, that, that Jesus opened your eyes to, whether it be in Scripture or just walking out. I mean, you were excited to go home and tell somebody about what had taken place. You had great joy. Do you still have that joy or have life and circumstances and Satan taking that joy from you? Satan and the world's desire is to make you lose sight of your joy and fall back to, to who you were. This book will help us find our joy again if we want it to be found. Amen? Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, we thank you for this, this study. We thank you for the book of, of 1 John. We pray that you would help us, Lord, as we go through this book to see ourselves, to properly evaluate ourselves, to see, Lord, if we have lost our joy. And if we, Lord, Lord, if we have, help us to find our joy. We know it comes from you, that we might be greater servants for you. Lord, we understand that life is short and it's going by quick and we don't have much time left. But Lord, with the time that we have remaining, help us, Lord, to, to show the world the joy that you have given us. In Jesus' name I do pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you need to come?